Hi, everyone. It's Raghu Marcus, and I'm back with another edition of Ramdas Here and Now podcast. And this uh, particular podcast is all the way back from 1982 in Cuesta, New Mexico. I think it must have been a retreat there, and uh, what we've pulled from it is all around the problem with personality. So intriguing talk and full of uh, really great insight from Ramdas as usual. I'm going to get into it a little bit more in a minute, but I, I do want to ask everybody for a favor. Okay, now I've been saying this on the last couple of Ramdas uh, podcasts. Basically, his memoir, Being Ramdas, is coming out on mid-January 2021. And we're, we're in December, mid-December right now. Actually, he left a year ago. And uh, we would really love your help if you could pre-order. I know many of you are going to love this book. We just got our copy of it, a couple of copies of it. It is so beautiful uh, and so well written with uh, Rameshwar Das. And I think and people, some people go, well, geez, I've read a lot of Bramdas stuff, be here now and kind of know his story. Well, you don't know his story. Wait till you read this. Of course, you know the general story. We all do. But there was so much in this that I, who have been uh, in contact with him fairly closely off and on for, uh, a, seems like a lifetime, I didn't know some of this. So it really gets into depth here. And uh, it's uh, got fantastic pictures from all uh, eras of his life. It's just wonderful. It, it, it really is. So I know many of you who listen to this podcast are definitely going to want to get the book. And I know it's, well, it's Christmas time and focuses on getting presents for loved ones and so on. And uh, if you can find a moment to pre-order the book, it is going to help enormously in allowing a greater presence through sites like, of course, Amazon. And, uh, and in that presence, more people will perhaps stumble upon the book. And, uh, and you know how Ramdas is. He can get... Uh, it can get a little addicting in terms of, wow, just uncovering stuff, deep parts of ourself that is so, so revealing and potentially transformational. So I know I'm pontificating here a little bit, but if you can, please do go ahead and pre-order the book. And, uh, and then, of course... Uh, all of the outlets will uh, make more of a big deal about it and order a lot more books. Okay, that's it. Thank you. Really, honestly, thank you. Uh, this book has been in the making for about six years, so it was uh, a big, big project for Ramdas before he left. Okay, problem with personality. Well... 
So we all have these habitual patterns in our personality, our neurotic tendencies and patterns. And I mean, the reality is, as Ram Dass says in this talk, if you're caught in the very neurotic personality patterns, it'll distort the spiritual path for you. One starts to do what everybody is banding about, the word spiritual bypassing. Because you're using your this neurosis, you're using the newfound spiritual uh, path as a way to in, reinforce the neurotic uh, personality patterns. Um, so I, I love what he He gives a great example, though, uh, of somebody in India who was one of his first mentors, teachers, and mine as well, Mayor Baba, loved Mayor Baba, saw that picture of him smiling, don't worry, be happy. And boy, I wanted not to worry, and I wanted to be happy. And uh, I'll never forget that. That was one of the first supercharged moments uh, for me of uh, an Eastern teacher. So... So he talks about, so one thing Mayor Baba did, he used to go around and there are these beings in India. Here they, they're put in asylums, but in India they're just lounging around. This, they have gotten into a consciousness, an ecstatic consciousness of the divine. And they basically can't even feed themselves. They can't keep themselves clean, nothing. He used to go down to where they would hang out and he would clean uh, he would help wash them and he would feed them. I mean, Mayor Baba was just this incredible being. And, and Ram Dass talks about these people. Their, they, their personality, I'm sure they grew up like everybody else in a family and probably parents wanted them to have a career and a marriage and all of it. And their personality was transformed in the service of this spirit the spirit that had filled them to the point where they could barely even talk and take care of. They're called must, M-A-S-T, mustwala. And he would take care of them. And and many of you may know Ananda Maima. I mean, she was in the early part of her life when she was just filled with this enormous ecstatic expression. She was doing cartwheels, which you don't do in India. Uh, so, yeah, an interesting take on how people do who get into that really uh, enormous spiritual uh, bhav expression, allow it to happen, and, and they just lose that old personality. Now, that's fewer than not, but um, for us, I think, on a day-to-day basis, and this is what uh, Ramdas points out, that a personality is part of the curriculum and, and it provides the experiences allow for a transformation. And what would that transformation be? It would have to do with rooting oneself in awareness. And uh, once that happens, then you... Um, you you approach your personality in a much different way. You can release and modify m- more easily if you have this tremendous rooted awareness uh, of 
who, for all of us, who we really are. So we're not prone to follow these personality neurotic tendencies and habitual patterns, take them as seriously as we might have without this root, rooted awareness. I think, and that's the word he uses. I love that, rooted awareness. And there's just much more spaciousness and you're not getting lost. We're not getting lost the way that we normally do on a day-to-day basis. Um, And he says here, a spiritual framework allows you some leverage to change your neurotic tendencies more easily than if you're totally identified with it. So if you have the context of awareness that you bring to personality machinations, you can bring them up to date to a higher consciousness more quickly. So, but it's not about, we have personalities, egos, we're, that's what's driving our day-to-day functionality in this world. So it's not a matter of, of getting rid of it. It's a matter of creating the kind of space around it that allows us to not be caught in it. Um, what does he say here? Um, if you get more rooted in that awareness and the part of you that has no definition, you're willing to open to your humanity more deeply and you're willing to play in your personality more lightly without feeling trapped by it. Alternatives are being trapped by your personality or denying it. That's what we do every day. We are either trapped by it or we're denying that it exists and we need to be in a higher spiritual realm. And he names the alternate choice is to root in it fully without clinging. And isn't that the the basis of uh, happiness? I think I've told this story a bunch of... Maybe I've told it on the other podcast that I do, Mind Rolling, more often. But a, a good friend of mine in uh, Maui was driving Joseph Goldstein around. He said, Joseph, if there's anything you could tell me to help me on my path, what would it be? And he just turned to him and said, stop clinging. Yeah. <laughs> Easy, no problem. Uh, and Ramdas also talks about relationships and the way that they're proving grounds for the personality attachments that uh, get us into <sighs> real issues. If uh, you know, it is what a an incredible practice relationships are. Um, so in the end, it's just uh, as he says, you develop compassion for your personality so that you can live with it in a spacious way. It's, and, and I look and I, I always hear Jack Cornfield going, you know, it's okay to be human. Yet at the same time, we want to be far less self-cherishing, don't we? Great, great talk again. Problem with personality. Ramdas Cuesta, 7782 I'm looking at now. Pretty amazing. Um, do enjoy. <laughs> without clinging. So here we go. Uh, and again, I'm, I remind you again, whatever you can do to, uh, to do a pre-order. Oh, and I didn't even give you the URL. Go to beingramdas, 
Ramdas.com. That's the name of the book, Being Ramdas. Go to beingramdas.com, a terrific site. Got excerpts from the book. It's got a couple of audio bits from Ramdas. It's got wonderful pictures. Some of them aren't even in the book. And it also has a place where it's interactive. You can put your own thoughts about what Ramdas has meant to you uh, in this lifetime. And, uh, and of course, right at the top left-hand corner, pre-order the book. So I'm glad I remembered that because I forgot it. All right, everybody, happy to be here with you and happy to share this book when, it, uh, when you all get a hold of it. And we will see you next time on Ramdas Here and Now on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And there's a host of phenomenal teachers and thought leaders doing podcasts with us right now. And see you next time. I just put all the ingredients in. It's also obvious how many times one uses one's spiritual seeking in the service of one's personality need. Yeah. What that one? Mm-hmm. Think of that feeling, what that feels like. It's sometimes less obvious how it works in the reverse, though. How one uses psychological things in the service of spirit. For example, the mosques in India that Meher Baba used to wash their feet and their bodies and take care of them. These are beings who are what are called god intoxicants, And in this country, they would be looked at as a, as a psychotic. And yet their personality is in some way changing in a service of the spirit. They're being pulled into other planes of awareness. Anandamai Ma, beautiful Indian saint in India, woman in India, spent several years just um, uh, doing cartwheels in the yard and and just mad, absolutely mad. I mean, they just had a, she kept taking off all the clothes, and she was a perfectly proper Bengali lady. But she just lost it completely. She went out there. And then slowly, slowly, she got her ground. And now they sort of move her from place to place. She's got a very distinct personality. If you reflect on this in the way that Emmanuel does, you, uh, you see personality as part of the curriculum creation of you as a spiritual entity or awareness that has created a form in order to provide certain experiences through which you will grow. And earth is seen as a school, as a curriculum for the soul, for the, for the spiritual psyche, for the, I don't know how to even call that, but the karmic web, karmic predisposition. When you live in a society which places personality almost overall, so that the criterion is, are you fulfilled as a person.
That's all prior to anything about spiritual awakening. And you assess inside yourself how much attention you have to pay to your personality variables on the way to spiritual awakening. It's a very interesting interplay. If you're too caught in very neurotic personality patterns, it will distort the way the spiritual work happens. And at some point you'll say, I really have to get my act together from a psychological point of view before I can go on. But if you wait to have your psychological act together before you go on with the spirit, it's going to be a cold day in hell. It's going to be an awful long wait. So there's a little balancing act that goes on in terms of how much you work at one level of your being and how much you work at another level. Now, there's another interesting phenomenon. That the more evolved you are spiritually, the more you have a rooted awareness independent of your personality that you have nurtured and developed and rest in, the more that as you approach your personality variables, you can release and modify them more easily. In other words, a spiritual framework gives you some leverage to change your personality more easily than if you are totally identified with it. So that people have asked me what I thought of therapy, and the answer always is, therapy is really as conscious and as useful as the people involved in it are. And that if, um, if the therapist thinks that she or he is a therapist, that's their basic identity, and that's it. That's as far out as they get. It's likely, since you come in preoccupied with your personality, you will both stay stuck on the social, psychological level. And it makes it very hard to change. Very hard to change in this. Like this winter, I was in Jungian analysis. And I had all those little, like those kind of little funny asides of, you know, I'll be very helpful for the therapist. And I went to the therapist and I said, look, I didn't say it, but I, what I thought in my mind was, look, I'm not coming to you for spiritual guidance. I'm coming to you because I need some body and fender repair work on my personality. There are some very neurotic patterns I'm living over and over and over again. And I would like you as a connoisseur of such patterns to point them out to me and to help me see my patterns of behavior. I'm hiring you as a professional, just like I go into a transmission expert in my car. I've been around spiritual scenes for many years. I've been around very evolved meditation masters and so on. And I must say that the students have not shown any less neurosis as a result of many of their spiritual practice. I have met extraordinarily neurotic people who practically can't function out in the world when they leave monasteries and ashram. So that the spiritual work itself can very easily just set aside the personality stuff. And then you come back in and all the old seeds come up. The only thing is that if you have the context of awareness that you bring to bear on the personality machinations, you can bring them up to date into a higher consciousness more quickly. 
It's like somebody has a very hard time with their father as a child. And then their father dies. And they're left with a sense of incompletion. And then they go to work and they get very clear and all their other relationships with their wife, with their friends, or their husband are all very light and clear. But there is this heavy thing left from the father. But it's possible to bring your father into present time. It's possible to bring every past event into present time, like rerunning old film and bringing it up into the present moment, bringing it up to the height of consciousness you now have. Otherwise, you leave these things sort of ill-digested. And there is a, pr a process which I, like, I just call running old films, which is what you do often when you're alone for a long period of time. You remember some long incident and you go way back into it, but you notice that in the past you could remember a very uh, traumatic incident. You could remember over and over again and you're always sort of reciting it from the same place. But as your consciousness shifts, you recite it, but you run it through a new awareness and you say, oh, that's what that was about. Or, oh, gee, I didn't really appreciate the pain that my parent was experiencing or something like that. It just changes the, there's a flip and you start to get free. Now in these days alone, just in every day, you pick up so much stuff at the personality level. You smile at somebody, they don't smile back and it goes in and it feeds your inadequacy or you're not good enough or something like that. If you were later to sit down and quiet down and get centered and then run that image through again, you would get to the, you'd be quiet enough to see that that person probably ate a bad uh, oyster or something, you know, and that <laughs> that's what they're dealing with. They're not dealing with you at all. You were just buying it. So um, the problem with personality stuff is it, it's like having a stone under a carpet and then putting more carpets on top and they just all have that little place where the stone was. They just keep getting like that all the time. And so whatever personality predispositions, if you're paranoid, you just keep feeding everything into that paranoia. And it's only when you quiet down and get your center that you can start up, get a little behind the paranoia. Now, um, Personality stuff comes up most dramatically in relationships. And it's an interesting question of what, what you can do for another human being. And I'm going to ask that just from a spiritual point of view now. From a psychological point of view, you obviously can satisfy their needs. You can make them happy. You can make them feel good with themselves. You can do all kinds of nice things. That's a psychological answer. From a spiritual point of view, what you can do for another person is you can create a space in which that person can do what it is they need to do. You can create a space that isn't a limiting condition. If you knew somebody as, say, um, somebody who ripped you off yesterday, the question now is who you see today. Are you holding on? It's like somebody who was like my father is 85 and he's uh, my father on one level. But now I find myself in the interesting role of taking care of him. 
and getting him a house and closing his office and helping him move and helping him go to the toilet and giving him insulin shots. And now we have a different role. And there was a little transition where it was a little embarrassing. It was embarrassing because we both had the old roles. And how could you do that with your father? And Mr. all, he was the father. He was the boss. He was the... But if you get quiet enough inside, you just approach each person. And I think it's too conceptual to say you approach them as a soul who is in an incarnation that is doing some work on themselves. And that when they're done, they leave. Most of the people that come to see me in interviews come in with basically psychological problems. And yet, there is something spiritual that draws us together. And all I can do is work with the psychological problems, but work with them in a space in my being, in the way I look at them and the way I look at myself, that allows them to deal with those things, but says, if you want to come up for air out of them, you're welcome to do so. Because I don't identify the person with their psychological problem, although they are identifying themselves that way. Like if I'm irritated and angry, I am caught in my I personality and I'm identifying myself that way. I'm busy, I'm angry. And a compassionate person, a conscious person says, Rondas is angry. And they, uh, they see me being angry and they might say, whatever they say, they can create a space that allows me to let go of that anger very quickly. Or they can be busy trying to get me to deal with the anger in a way that keeps the anger going. Either by trying to get me over it or trying to act against it or whatever. In other words, getting caught in reactivity. Reinforcing the reality of personality. The question is, how much do we reinforce each other's personality? We enter into these conspiracies. I'll make believe you are who you think you are if you'll make believe I am who I think I am. And we keep strengthening our personalities all the time. And you can look around and you can see that you've gotten to know many people here and you have them pegged in terms of who you think they are. And it's very hard for them to change. You know, that's a lecher and that one's always sobbing and that one's really got a, always a bellyache and that one is uh, all sweetness and light and that one's kind of heavy but trying and that one is, I mean, I can give you a caricatures of everybody here. You know, we're all, we've all got our, our caricature. The predicament is, as Haridas once said, you can't rip the skin off a snake. And often I sit and I look at people that come in for interviews and I see this really other being in there. I mean, I, I just feel I'm making, there's another being that has nothing to do with their personality. Their personality is like their Ford or their, you know, it's, it's like, a, it's just a vehicle through which they are manifesting and they are insisting the vehicle is real. And that's it. That's who they are. I am a Ford, they keep telling me. And I want to scream, you know, hey, you're not a Ford. You really, you're just driving a Ford. But it, you can't do it to somebody. It's bizarre. You've just got to say, yes, you're a Ford, dear. You know, and let's talk about your oil and your crankcase and your shift and all that stuff. And at the same moment, create a space 
in which if they would like to twinkle or come up for a moment or say, you know, sometimes I don't think I'm a Ford, <laughs> you know, but I'm scared about that. <laughs> you can be there. That's it. You can be there because you didn't get caught into the reactivity into. And everybody's very seductive with their personalities of making them real for themselves and each other all the time. We're all doing it constantly. To each other. Now, um, like I, as I said the other night, sometimes you're afraid that if you give up the personality into the spirit, you're going to lose some juice. And the thing is that you can't give up your personality. I can't give up my baldness or my 51-year-oldness. That's part of the vehicle. What I often do is push the vehicle away for a long time. I've said this in a lot of lectures, many of you have heard. But I kept Dick Alpert really down and put Ramdas up. But the sequence is, as I said the other night, that as you get more rooted in your awareness, in your isness, in the part of you that has no definition, you are willing to open to your humanity more deeply. And you're willing to play in your personality more lightly and joyfully without feeling trapped by it. The, the alternatives aren't either being trapped by your personality or denying it. There is one other choice, and that is to live in it fully, but without clinging. You honor it fully. Because to deny your vehicle is to deny your incarnation, and to deny your incarnation is really to deny spirit. Because that's what an incarnation is, it's spirit made manifest. To avoid form is just as much to go astray as to be attached to empty. Hopefully, the way this a retreat works is you come obviously preoccupied with your personality. I mean, when you just drive into a new place, you have all the personality anxieties that coming to a new place bring. You know, you're sleeping. A, your food is different, your diet, everything's off balance, and your personality screams to reassure itself one way or another. So you rush around telling everybody the work you do, or you meet everybody, or you try to seduce everybody. You do something in order to reassert your personality to feel secure again. And it's in the midst of that kind of wild scene that you are trying to do spiritual work. See, and you've come from a scene where everything reinforced who you thought you were. Kept your personality real. Because everybody home knows you. They all know who you are. <laughs> oh, that's Sam. <laughs> you know, we know Sam. So you come into a new situation where theoretically you have the chance to completely be in, in an amorphous field in which you could grow optimally and you immediately reassert who you are. Just notice how anxious people get if you don't allow them to talk the first day for everybody to go around and say, I'm, who are you? Where do you come from? Oh, hello, hi. And everybody is reasserting their definition. Then we're all secure. We know who we are. But an ashram provides certain moments when you meet the boundaries of your personality. 
whether it's a call to prayer or mantra or solitude, meditation, chanting, hearing the reading the words of Emmanuel, sitting by the creek, on the creek and meditate, hiking. There are moments push the edge, they come right to the edge where personality suddenly becomes the vehicle again. And for a moment you start to open to your much vaster identity. Don't be upset that you push those moments away and grab back at your, at the reality of your vehicle. That's why you took a human birth, to do that kind of work. If you didn't have any identification with your personality or your body, you wouldn't be here on Earth. That's what this is about. The question is, can you participate in the curriculum with delight, with involvement, with joy, but not forget. People have asked me, wasn't Maharaji just a good father figure for you? Oh yes, he was certainly that. But he was also a connection to a part of my being so far beyond my personality. Methods that use forms like prayer or dance or arty, where there is a very fixed form. In the fixed form, you can relinquish your personal individual differences for a moment and go beyond. It's safe. The form is structured and you can go out on it. You can go beyond it. Back into spirit. there is no way that you and I can be together. There's no way that two human beings can be together in their humanness other than through the forms. But when two human beings are together in form and yet both of them are aware of the way in which the form is a vehicle, then they experience a unity through duality. They find their relationship transcends relationship. And to meet a couple that has been through enough on the personality level and not got caught in their anger or their pride or their self-pity or their righteousness and have found a way so that both of them can look at what they are as unique beings from one space and honor the way in which they are unique and that they are two. Relationships, as many of you have tasted at those moments, become almost unbearably exquisite. 
an expression at play in the fields of the Lord. Some people say that the spiritual journey is too serious. That seriousness is to cut through a certain kind of laughter that is within form. Beyond that seriousness is the cosmic giggles. That's a kind of humor, a kind of twinkle in the eye, a kind of playfulness that is a different kind of laughter. There's personality, happiness and humor and fun. And then there's a transcendent quality of humor. So many times Maharaji would say something to me and I'd laugh, and then he'd look at me waiting. And then I'd see that I was just laughing from one level. And I'd open up and I'd see that it was much funnier than I thought it was, and I'd laugh again. <laughs> and he'd look at me like he was waiting. And so I quiet down and I'd open up and I'd see, oh, God, I missed it completely. I was all the time thinking I was this and I really wasn't at all. And I'd see another level and I'd laugh and he'd look at me as if, you dumb ass, aren't you ever going to wake up? And I knew there were about nine more levels that he was waiting for. But I was too attached to be able to laugh because I was still looking from somewhere. Some of you who I've known for years and who we have been meeting in this, in these dark corners secretly year after year have changed in an awesome way. You're no less neurotic than you ever were, but it's so much lighter. It's as if you're almost getting to the point of delighting in your neurosis. And that's really the way I begin to appreciate it. I mean, just the fun of it, the fun of a human birth the delight, the play. That even the serious parts we don't take seriously. We don't take heavily. We don't get lost into. You get so that you must honor the power of your personality. That's a very powerful karmic ingredient. And if you are busy hating yourself for having a personality, it merely perpetuates the whole process of attachment. But there are some personality variables that are very useful in the service of spiritual work. For example, this morning when I was at Aikido, afterwards Margaret said to me, gee, uh, it's so interesting to watch you, you're such a good student. Now, part of the way I'm a student is that insecure place of if I do everything the teacher says, they'll like me. That's familiar to some of you, I'm sure. <laughs> and part of it is the joy of surrendering into structure. 
is how free you are when you just do what somebody else tells you to do. And part of it is it's the optimum strategy for optimum growth. It keeps opening you to new possibilities. And the role of a student is a great professional role. Keep it as long as you can. The minute you become somebody who knows, like even as I'm doing this, this is all the way I'm exploring my own consciousness and this situation and my own entrapment. And here I am heavy knowing something I know I don't know and I know this is all bullshit. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, you don't get offended. <laughs> it's wise bullshit. <laughs> it's hard for somebody like me who gets up and does this kind of pontificating this kind of thing all the time to, for you to understand that this is all my role as a student because it almost sounds like I'm being a teacher but I feel like I am one of the students we are all students together of life and that we're all playing our different roles and the game of student is how you can play your role impeccably without getting lost in it. This is my role. This is what you hired me for. This is what I do for a living. <laughs> Crank me up and out comes Dharma. <laughs> Some people can't sit at other people's feet. They, they, they're Pride won't allow them to do that. But somehow to me, I just want, uh, I really want to, I want, what do I want? I want to milk life as fully as I can in such a way that I awaken in the process of this life. It isn't even as I, if I want it, it's that I can't do anything else but that. And each person I meet is like a message that has come that I can decipher or not depending on how quiet I am. And often I find myself, just like you, too arrogant to listen. And a moment later, I think, what the hell was that all about? Look at that. How poignant you are. How poignant. You couldn't hear that person because you were just too threatened by them, insecure, too caught in your own role. You have to develop a lot of compassion for yourself, for your personality, in order to be able to live with it in a spacious way. This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you. <laughs>